Well, I want to add my uh, Happy New Year to you for those of you who are online and also for those of you who are joined with us here in our worship center. Um, Don't get too used to the 10 o'clock start time, people. I know you love that. Everybody's saying, well, this is really great. Yeah, we go back to 9 and 11 next week. We're glad you're here. And it's a family Sunday. I always love family Sundays because our kids are in the room. Our students are in the room. And I believe Pastor Elisa put together an activity page for the kids. It's in the back. You can pick it up when you came in. I hope that is available to you. And our online family, it is available through facebook.com backslash groups backslash Kids, all one word. And you can see that activity page for you and follow along with my sermon online. Well, um, sermons come from unusual places for me. I bet that's not a surprise to any of you. So I've had sermon ideas while I was mowing my grass, when I had grass. Now I have a little zero lot line house, so I don't mow anymore, but I weed whack. So I'm sure sermon ideas are coming from weed whacking, but they also came from brushing my teeth. Anything that is not dedicated to reading and studying, this is when sermon ideas come, when you're doing something totally different. And this particular sermon was birthed at Costco. (laughs) So let me explain. It was the day after Thanksgiving, the biggest shopping day of the year. So I, like the rest of humanity, jumped in my car and I wanted to get out and do my Christmas shopping as quickly as I could. I turned on my key and my tire pressure told me 31, 31, 31, 13 pounds of air in my back tire. So my dear friend Tony, he swapped out my tire with the little donut one they give you that's a spare, a donut hole kind of, you know, and I went over to Costco with no appointment. Now Costco is really nice about squeezing you in. That's exactly what they said, we'll squeeze you in. And I knew that meant hours, I'm gonna wait, right? But it was worth it. And the guy said, well, you can wait in our food court. And I was like, a food court? I haven't been to Costco in a long time. They have a food court? Where is it? And I turned around, and it's the eight picnic tables (laughs) that are in the Plano Costco, the eight picnic tables right by the hot dogs and the pizza slice that you can buy for like $2.50. So I bowed to temptation. I got myself a hot dog and an orange soda, and I sat there at a picnic table. And for over two hours waiting for my tire to be repaired, I watched the comings and goings of Costco. And you know how Costco is set up. You have one door where you enter and another door where you exit. And when you come into Costco, you have to flash your card that shows you're a legit member, right? All right. And then when you do all of your shopping, you put it in your cart to get out of Costco, you have to stop your cart and somebody looks at your long receipt and they put like a marker line through it, which means I haven't read it, but I hope you didn't steal anything. And then they let you out with your cart. So all for the two hours I'm watching coming in, going out. I was there long enough to actually track families coming in and then going out. I saw one of our elders, Anthony Richardson, was there with his wife, Monica. It was nice to talk to him. So I had a great time talking to people and just hanging out at the food court. (laughs) Um, While I was doing that, watching the coming in and going out, the words of a verse popped in my mind. Do you ever, you ever have that where you know it's a verse, but you don't know where it's from? Isn't that maddening? And it was, the Lord will watch over your coming in and your going out, both now and forevermore. And so I did what all good Bible students do. I Googled it. And here 
It is. It's Psalm 121.8. The Lord will guard your going in and your, your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. The King James says, and forevermore. I love that. So this word guard here is super, super fascinating. It's the same word, or it's related to the word, that God uh, used to describe to Adam how he would care for the garden, to watch over it and tend it and nurture it. So this is how God watches over us with that same kind of tender care and nurture. And he said, oh, guard, you're going in and you're going out and you're coming in. The going out and coming in is a, like an Old Testament metaphor for your life. It means God is going to watch over all of your life, all of your entrances and exits. Everything that comes into your life and goes out of your life, God watches over you, both now in the present, in this moment, and forevermore. Now, this is uh, the whole psalm, Psalm 121. I dug into it a little bit. It's actually a pilgrimage song. So the ancient Israelites would go up to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate festivals together. And they'd walk along the dusty roads with all their families and they'd get to Jerusalem and they would do their festivities, their religious festivals. And they had certain parts of the Psalter, the book of Psalms, to sing. And Psalm 121 is one of those songs they would sing as they make their way up to Jerusalem it's also a song that these same Israelites would teach to their children to memorize, to pray for people who had deep needs or were grieving. And so maybe kids today in the room or online, you can set yourself a little goal and maybe memorize Psalm 121. It has eight verses. You can do it, kids. It'd be great to have that in your heart and be praying that for people as you recognize they have needs. And do you know what? It's also called the Soldier's Psalm. So if you know someone who's in a frontline position, uh, a first responder, or someone in the military, you can use Psalm 121 to pray for them. Or maybe you can send it to them and tell them that you're praying these words for them. It's a beautiful Psalm 121, so rich and so deep. So really, to sum it up, Psalm 121 is a song of confidence. A song of confidence that the ancient Israelites would sing praising God for his watchful care over their lives in the present time and then forever. It's a song of confidence. Now, things have not been easy since the pandemic. Have you noticed that since 2020? And this coming year is probably not going to be easy either. There are actually global problems that are looming, aren't there? There's economic challenges that we will all face and we're beginning to face. This is not going to be an easy year. It's going to be a little tricky to navigate. And when uncertainty like that comes up because our brains are wired for survival, we don't like uncertainty. It makes us anxious and afraid. And so that tension that's created within our soul when there's a lot of uncertainty prompts this question where we wonder, is confidence possible? In lieu of, in sight of this whole unknown future, let's face it, we don't know what's going to happen, what's going to come into our lives or go out of our lives in 2023. We are looking right now, poised on this first fresh day of 2023, we're looking at 364 and a half days of the unknown. 
Is confidence possible with that level of uncertainty? Well, let's pray about that. Would you join me? Father, thank you for this word that you have given me for our church and for those who are listening and for myself. I've adopted this word that we'll talk about later for this year for my life. Would you answer this question, is confidence possible with this massive level of uncertainty that we are all faced with in 2023? Would you answer that question today? And would you speak words of love and faithfulness to us and over us? Father, we love you, we thank you, we can't wait to hear from you, dear Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we're going to look at a story. We catch Jesus in Luke 7 at the height of his popularity. He has shown his mastery over demonic forces and disease. He's a popular teacher. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, he has just preached a sermon called the Sermon on the Plain. It's kind of a sister sermon to the Sermon on the Mount, which you likely have heard of more And he has just healed um, a centurion's servant from a distance, just saying a word. And so everyone is excited. I would call Jesus the first century OTW, the one to watch. He's the one to watch. And if we were living in that day in this geographic location, we would be following and so interested in what he was doing. So let's jump into Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 11. So soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So I just said soon afterward, this is a time designation. So right after he heals the centurion servant at a distance just with a word, he doesn't pray, he doesn't touch him in any way, he just says he's healed, and the centurion goes and checks, and sure enough, the servant is healed. So it's right after this, the servant's The centurion servant was healed in Capernaum, which is Jesus' kind of ministry headquarters. And so now they're walking, I think it's southeast or southwest, about 20 plus miles, a good day's walk. They're walking from Capernaum to this little town called Nain. The word Nain means pleasant. And so they're walking to a very pleasant place. And a large crowd went along with him, plus his disciples. So there's Jesus, there's the 12 of his disciples, but this large crowd, we're not sure how large it was, but remember Jesus at the height of his popularity, and celebrity is not a new thing, people. Like, people were just coming out, and when news would get, as they're going the 20 miles, news would come along, hey, Jesus is here, everybody wants to see him. They want the Jesus t-shirt and the decoder ring, you know, they, they want to they wanna follow Jesus, they want to see what it's all about. I want to ask you, in this celebratory crowd that is going with him, cheering on the winds, Jesus, you're the best, you're the most popular, we want to follow you, you heal people, you're a great teacher, all the wins. And I'm sure Jesus is celebrating too, it's got to have affected him. I know how fulfilling it is when you are in ministry and good things happen, that's a fulfilling thing. And so this is a celebratory group and I want to ask you today, have you celebrated a win in 2022? Was there a win that you celebrated? Was there a win that you celebrated? Did you take time to celebrate it? Did you know Jesus celebrated that win with you? 
for you? You have one cheerleader, and his name is Jesus, and he celebrates the wins that you have. The good things that come into your life, Jesus celebrates those good things with you. See, you're never really alone. Jesus celebrates those good things with you. When I finished my doctoral studies, I finished on the 16th of uh, December, so it hasn't been too long. And, you know, I live alone with just a, a small dog named Fergus, so there's not a huge celebration. I, I think I did a happy dance in my house because nobody could see, but, but just knowing what I just said, that Jesus is celebrating with me that he sees the winds of my life and he sees the winds of your life. You're not alone, he cheers you on. And dear friends took me to a beautiful dinner, so I was well celebrated, so it's not, not a sad story, but I'm just saying, if you live alone, you're never alone. Jesus celebrates your wins for you. All right, let's go on to verse 12. And it says this, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. This is packed with information. So as Jesus is approaching the town gate, so let me show you a town gate, and then we'll come back to this verse. We'll go back to the slide. This is actually the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem. So it's one of the huge and massive gates around that city. And in the first century and even times before, cities built walls to protect them and had gates for coming in and going out. Gates were a place where people could enter and exit. Gates were a place where legal transactions were held. Gates were a place where the elders of the city did their leadership stuff where they made decisions and all of that. And gates were for protection. So if the enemy was coming, you would shut the gates, right? So gates are such an important thing in this ancient context. Every place you want to go in, you come through that gate. And if you want to go out, you come through that gate. So Jesus, going back to verse 12, if you can flip it back, there you go. As he approached the... There you go. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Now, you have to kind of get the scene. So the celebratory Jesus popularity group is coming in. And as they're walking through the gate, what's coming out? Something completely opposite. A dead man. And he's being carried. He's the only son of his mother. So his mother's already a widow, she lost her husband. This is her only son. This word only son is just how Jesus is described. Monogenes, he's the one and only son. So she has no more children. So what this means for the widow is that she's going to be destitute and isolated as soon as this funeral is over. So in comes the cheering crowd with Jesus fans and out goes the grieving crowd with the mourners. Life and death, hope, and sorrow, son of man, sorrowful mother. Can you get the scene? The coming in through the gate and the going out of the gate. The mixture, the convergence, the simultaneous mixture of both of those things at the same moment. Let's keep going. 
when the Lord saw her, this is the first time Luke uses the word Lord to describe Jesus in the book of Luke. When the Lord, it's Adonai, master, master over everything. He's mastered demons, he's mastered disease. And in a few moments, he's gonna get the third D. He's gonna master it. When the Lord saw her, the widow, where did Jesus' eyes go? Right to the person with the deepest need. The person who's gonna be alone and destitute in a matter of hours. The person who's grieving beyond belief and has no hope. If that describes you, Jesus' eyes are on you today. He saw her. You know what? We have a culture that has swapped seeing for watching. And I fear that these young children that we have in our midst today are gonna grow up and potentially lose the habit of seeing people because we've swapped it out for watching, not participating, but being a spectator of life, of swiping and doom scrolling, and that's what we do. And there's nothing wrong with the, the technology that we have, but we have to know that Jesus' people see people. Their eyes see people in need. Jesus saw her, but that's not all. Then from seeing her, his heart went out to her. This is a word that I can't even pronounce in the Greek, but it means your intestines. Jesus was rocked by the sight of this widow down to his very core. It is a word that means compassion so deep that he actually suffered with her in that moment. His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Now this is not a man trying to find something to say that's awkward in the middle of a woman's emotions. The actual literal, literal translation is don't keep on crying because she was weeping as she should weep. But he's saying don't keep on crying. He doesn't finish the sentence because I'm about to do something that's gonna reverse what just happened to you. So don't keep on crying. Then he went up, notice, he sees, his heart responds, he says something, and then he goes up and he touches the stretcher that they were carrying the body on. They didn't bury people in coffins like we do. They'd put a body on like a woven stretcher called a bier, B-I-E-R. And so people would carry that body, carry it through the city and out through the gate and up into the caves, likely where the widow just put her husband. That's how they did the burial. And if the woman was wealthy enough, which we don't know if she was, that she could have hired professional mourners, women who would go at the front and wail and cry. She could have had flute players and they would play like a funeral dirge, very mournful singing. The town, the Jewish community would often be a part of these funeral processions. They, they wanted to help carry that that, uh, that funeral beer, they wanted to help carry the body. And so what Jesus does is he comes up and he touches that. In, in the Greek, it's to lay hold of something forcibly. He didn't just go, think. He grabbed it. And he grabbed it because he wanted the bearers to stand still. He wanted to stop the, profession, the procession. How many people here know that Jesus ruined every funeral he ever went to? He stopped it. And the bearers stood still. Every, imagine the crowd. 
The celebrating has stopped. The weeping has stopped. Everything is still. The body is there, wrapped in linen, the face uncovered. And he said, young man, this is a word that means he was between about 25 and 40. Young man, I say to you, get up. Have you had losses in your life that you've grieved? Maybe this year you've lost the person you love the most, loved you the most. You lost your job or you lost a friend. I hate to even put it in the same breath, but I lost my dog. Eleven and a half years with this golden doodle, my crazy Ellie, for those of you who follow her on Instagram. <laughs> that was a deep loss for me. Lost my mom in 2013, and Ellie was with me through all of the things. So we all experience deep, deep loss. Disappointment, grief. Things go out of our lives. But I want you to know that Jesus is right there in the scene of your grief. He's weeping with you. He, his heart is touched with compassion. He sees you. He sees your tears. He actually, the Psalms say, put your tears in a bottle. He's saving all of them up and he knows the story of each one. And he's right there and he stops everything to be with you in this moment of grief. Have you grieved your losses this year? Jesus grieves with you. He's the God who weeps. Remember when Jesus lost his best friend Lazarus, what he did? John 11, 35, I think it's, or 25. Jesus wept. It's the verse we can all memorize. Jesus wept. He's the God who cries. No other religion has a God who cries, who laughs, and who cries. That's our Jesus. So imagine the scene when everybody hears Jesus say, young man, probably because he didn't know his name, young man, said, get up. Here's what happened. The dead man sat up and began to talk. <gasps> oh my gosh, I, what does a dead person say if they come back alive? Like, what, what, like the last thing I knew, I was watching TV. I, like, what does he say? Can you imagine standing there at the city gate of Nain and watching the dead guy sit up and look at all of his, and then start to talk? And I love this. Jesus gave him back to his mother. These words, Jesus gave him back to his mother, this, the word giving someone back to his mother, this happens to Elijah when he raises a widow's son and it says he gave him back to his mother. I bet Jesus had them lower that stretcher and maybe they unwound his legs a little bit or however they helped him. 
And he helped him get up. I, I bet when you're dead, you haven't used your muscles very much lately. So, you know, you have to help him get back up. He's confused. So Jesus is tenderly giving him back to his mother. He's escorting him back to this wide-eyed mother who has just lost her only son. And he gives him back to his mother, but he also gives the mother back her son. He reverses the isolation and the destitution and the grief the deep kindness and goodness of our Savior. And this is happening. The celebrating people are still there. The flute-playing mourners are still there. The stretcher-bearers are there, the pallbearers. And Jesus' eyes are right on that widow. It's really a story about Jesus and the widow. Jesus and the one. Because Jesus sees you, and he sees me. Out of all of the crowds, he sees you. Let's go to 16. They were all filled with awe, of course, you know, like, this is the word phobos, which is fear. But again, this fear of I've seen something and I don't have any category for it, like, holy smokes, right? And they praise God. I love that. So they knew something happened that wasn't just. Um, natural, it was supernatural. So they start praising God. So now some sound starts to go, wow, Lord, look what you've done. And they say, a great prophet has appeared among us. It's interesting because Luke just called him Lord, but they don't say he's the Lord. He's not the master, even though he's just mastered death. Demons, disease, now death. So he's mastered all of those. So he's looked death in the face and spoken life to it. Death, our greatest enemy, is conquered by Jesus. But now, a great prophet has appeared among us. Nain is very close to an Old Testament town called Shunem. And if you look at 2 Kings chapter 4, in your spare time, you'll see another raising of a, a son. And it happened in Shunem, which is geographically very close to Nain. So this area had a reputation for this miracle. So when Jesus does this same kind of miracle here, people go, oh my gosh, shades of Elisha. Elijah also raised a widow's son. So Jesus is kind of aligning himself with the prophets, but don't you know Jesus is greater than the prophets? Jesus eclipses the prophets. He's greater than them. And, he, and then they said, God has come to help his people. The word help is really the word visit. And this is a, a, a prophecy from Isaiah about the Messiah, that God would actually not just help his people from heaven, but he would actually come and visit his people. We just celebrated that at Christmas. God was visiting. He visited us in, in the person of Christ, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He visited us, Emmanuel, God, with us. So people are putting the pieces together. And of course, this news about Jesus spread like wildfire throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Of course it did. Of course it did. In 2023, joyful things will come into our lives. They will. You can't see them now. Joyful things will come. People will get married. 
babies will be born. People will find the job of their dreams. People will take their bucket list trip. People will make friends. People will do daring things. People will serve and help others, will impact this community. People will make a difference. People will offer a cup of cold water in Jesus' name to someone. See, great and happy, joyful things will come into our lives and Jesus is right there celebrating every one of those wins. But the truth is, is that in 2023, we'll experience sadness and loss as well. You know it's true. And it'll be most likely unexpected. People we love will pass away. We will lose a job or a friend. Our finances will be tricky. Maybe we'll lose a home or we'll lose a beloved pet. We'll, loss and sadness and disappointment will come. We know that because we've lived long enough to see it. And we know that life is a mixed bag. The coming in of joy and the going out of sorrow is what life is made of. But Jesus sees these moments, these hard moments, and he has compassion on us. He suffers with us in those moments. And he draws near and he says, don't keep crying. Don't keep crying. You can trust me. I am here. I love you. And I'm holding on to you. And I'm with you. Trust me. So, I ask the question, is confidence possible in the face of the uncertainty of 2023? And my answer is yes! Confidence is not only possible, confidence is the smartest way to approach this year. Because, why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Jesus, he's the son of God and he's the savior of the world. And he stands, get this, not at the gate of your life, but as the gate of your life. This is new covenant truth. This is the Jesus that we know in this day and age. It's not the first century. This is Jesus who says, I am the gate to the sheep. John 10, he says, I am the gate. He's the gate. Your life is gated and walled by Jesus. Back in the olden days when the shepherds had sheep, they made a sheep fold. They had a little walled area and they, their bodies acted like gates. And so sheep could come in and find protection and go out and find pasture only through the shepherd. So Jesus says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is how we find salvation. There's only one way in, that's Jesus. There's only one way to know God, to approach God through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection is the only way to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm the gate. They will come in and go out. Look at that. There's our little phrase. Come in and go out. In other words, they will find pasture in their lives through me. You will find provision and protection and safety and love in Jesus, the gate. Nothing else is going to do. See, because thieves, thieves, 
thieves <laughs> and robbers are going to try to pull you away from this truth and offer you any number of things as a bad substitute, and you may fall for it, but in the end you're going to find that it only leads to stealing and killing and destroying. And prayerfully you'll come back as a child of God to this truth. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full, abundant life. See, Jesus as the gate. Let me show you the bottom line that I constructed for this sermon. This is what I want you to kind of think about. Jesus as the gate, not just at the gate. In Luke 7, he's at the gate. But now in the new covenant, he's as the gate. Jesus as the gate watches over what goes out and comes into your life and bids you to trust him. Trust him. Trust him. He's trustworthy. He celebrates all your wins. He grieves over all your losses with you. He's trustworthy. Charles Spurgeon said this, put all of your exits and entrances under one protection. And Caleb is here and he and his brothers, I don't know if you know, these are his brothers, Gabe and Luke. And they're going to sing a beautiful song called One Thing. Is it One Thing? Is that? Nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, I forgot that one thing. And now it's nothing else. He's going to sing this beautiful song to us. And what I'd love to encourage you to do is to take the moments of this meditative kind of song and turn it into a prayer. And why don't you put all of your 2023, all of that massive uncertainty, and just put it at the feet of Jesus in prayer. Offer him your 2023. And receive from him this God confidence in Jesus as you do that. And I'll come back after the song and I'll close the service. just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sing another song. Take me back to where we started. I owe 
When I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry. When I forgot that you're enough, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you.
on behalf of our elders, pastors, and church staff, I just want to say to you that we love you. This church is our family. And whether you join us online or you're here in our worship center, you're loved. And it's a joy to be a part of you, to serve you and to serve with you. And if today you're asking, how do I be, how am I saved? How do I come to know Jesus? If you're here with us this morning, I'd love to talk to you. Please come and talk to me. I'd love to share with you how you can come to know Christ. And if you're online and you want to know about Jesus and you're asking questions, Pastor Matt and the team are online, just reach out to them. Maybe you're here and you are a believer. And in 2023, you really want to know what it is to live the abundant life that Jesus promised. What does that look like? How does it work? We'd love to answer your questions. If you want to think about it and email us, you can always get us at pastors at bentry.org. We'd love to interact with you, have coffee with you, sit down with the Bible and share with you. Gosh, just do it. We're here. We're together. We do this thing together. And if I had a big Sharpie marker over the doors as you leave here and over your television set online, I would write the word confidence. God, confidence in 2023. This is what I pray over my life and over your life and the life of our church, the life of believers everywhere, that we would be confident in our Jesus because he is the Lord of 2023. Jesus is the Lord of this new year. We declare it and it's true. And we can be confident in him. There's an old saying that says, we don't know what the future holds. Finish it with me. But we know who holds the future. It's Jesus, the Lord of 2023. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you that we only want nothing else but you. Take us back to that simple place as we start this year, this fresh new page of 2023. Let it begin with nothing else but you. We love you. We thank you. You can't wait to see what you're going to do in us and through us. Thank you so much for your love, Jesus, Lord of 2023. And we pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. 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 If you want prayer, if you have any needs, uh, come on down front and let us uh, pray for you or do whatever you need. Thank you for coming. And we will see you next week at 9 and 11 to start the book of Ephesians. God bless you.